Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk and the new TV show from Great British Bake Off winner Nadia Hussein. We've also watched the Mumps episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So fans of Game of Thrones may know and may be very excited about the fact that we are doing a second Game of Thrones quiz. Tickets are going on sale this Wednesday. That's the 26th at midday. So go to seriouslypod.com slash events or get on our Twitter feed or our Facebook and you should be able to buy tickets for that quiz, which is going to be on September the 12th. There we go. Exciting. Yeah. So it'll be a really fun night of probably some of the same questions we did at our previous Game of Thrones quiz. So don't come twice basically cheaters cheaters or serious quiz junkies lol we will be doing other quizzes in the future obviously we do one every two months so that's very exciting but before september the 12th we do have another really exciting thing we're doing that we would love some of you to come to on the 5th of august we're being part of the shout out festival in central london which is loads of different podcasts all doing live episodes we're doing our very first live episode we've never done one before and if you buy a ticket via seriouslypod.com forward slash shout out you get to see like all the other shows it's not like a one-off thing it's like a pass for the whole day well i'm very excited so fun times ahead for seriously and listeners so rolling on with the show the first thing that we're going to talk about this week is christopher nolan's war movie dunkirk it stars harry styles which centers some of my interest in this film but it also stars tom hardy mark rylance killian slash cillian murphy I never pronounce it right. I'm so sorry. I'm not a proper journalist. (laughs) A whole bunch of people. Kenneth Branagh. It's got an amazing cast. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. He's coming back round. He's coming back round! 
Where are we going? Dunkirk. I'm not going back. There's no hiding from this sun. We have a job to do. If we go there, we'll die. It basically shows three strands of Dunkirk evacuation. So you get some foot soldiers uh, who are trying to get on a boat. You see it from also from the perspective of a group of British civilians who've brought a little boat over to try and get some foot soldiers off. And you also see it from the perspective of the air with Tom Hardy as a sort of fighter pilot trying to defend some of the soldiers on the ground. And I think it's just been really one of the summer's biggest releases, I'd say. Yeah, it's massive, I think, for several reasons. It's Christopher Nolan's new film, you know, he made The Dark Knight Rises, he made Inception. He also made Interstellar, which was not very good. Mm, Some people loved that movie, though. Oh, I didn't like it. Yeah. But so anyway, he's, you know, big time director. As you say, it's got a lot of big stars in it. And also, particularly in Britain, you know, it's a historical war movie about one of our most iconic military events. Yeah. And something we all learn about in school. And we all learn about it a lot. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of the structure of this movie? The way they've sort of done it? Because it's not really like your normal war film, which kind of has a narrative where it's like, and now the big battle. Yeah, I really appreciated that about this film. I'm not 100% sure I would have gone to see this if it hadn't had Harry Styles in it. Mm -hmm. But I did. And Yeah, I like the fact that it wasn't structured like a conventional war movie. It didn't have a kind of build-up battle aftermath three-act sequence. As you said, it has this three strands. Incidentally, you know right at the beginning when the little text appears Mm. where it says, like, one, the sea... And underneath it says like one week. I think this is something that that has confused some people. So I think what this is, and I could be wrong, but I think it's just like, okay, this plot line lasts a week. This is a week until Uh... they make it out. This plot line about the boat is one day. They get up in the morning, they take their boat out, they're there for the day, they go back. And the fighter pilot is one hour. So it's an hour before Tom Hardy runs out of fuel, basically. Right. Okay. That makes sense because the timescales don't quite work otherwise no because you see like harry styles and his fellow foot soldiers on the beach like waking up and going to sleep and stuff Mm -hmm. so you see that time is passing for them in a way that obviously the pilot's just there in the sky and then he's not sort of thing but i think part of the reason that that confused me at first is because it is quite hard to see dunkirk as something different to a normal sort of like you know, it's not a battle, it's an evacuation. And yeah, I was thinking it's like... after oh, the battle. Yeah, literally. But there's not really that much of a battle at Dunkirk at all, right? They're just constantly being pushed back yeah, in- it, until they get to the sea. I was reading about this on Wikipedia after I saw it. It was like a running guerrilla mm. street fight where the British Expeditionary Force, which was the first tranche of troops that were sent over in 1939, war will be over by Christmas, all that kind of mm. optimism. Yeah, I was just being pushed up France and British and French troops are kind of fighting a rearguard action the whole time and by the time they get to the coast the French are maintaining a perimeter in the town so that the British can get off the beach. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's not ever been like a full-scale battle but there were tanks and stuff following them up France and uh, blowing holes and stuff. Yeah, so one reason that that sort of confused me at first is I was like, wait, so we're a week away from Dunkirk Mm. in the first plot line? No, it took like 10 days. Exactly, and we're only an hour away from Dunkirk and then you're like, wait, no, that's a really stupid way to look at this event because it's just this one long ongoing retreat mm. essentially 
and yeah i think it works the way he's done it even if it is a bit confusing right in the first opening minutes it does because you start with these different strands all separate so you see the soldiers trying various different ruses to try and get on a boat just there's this desperation in the air like we've got to get off this beach because german bombers keep coming over and dropping bombs and killing us where we sit sort of thing you know they try to sneak onto a boat by carrying a a stretcher with a casualty they try climbing into a, a boat that's run aground and waiting for the tide to float it off again you know they try different things because the organization of the army and the navy is just breaking down mm. because they've got 400,000 men on the beach and not any boats to take them off and yeah. it's all going wrong and these officers are in the difficult position of saying like yes we know that you could die if you stay here another second but you cannot get on this boat and yeah. they, obviously people panic in well, response to being they, told things like that it's a historical fact that they ordered the wounded to be left behind mm. because they took up more space than yeah. men they do think, mention that yeah, in the movie don't they, they say one stretcher takes up the space of seven men standing mm. so everyone's being made to make horrible difficult decisions yeah so that's one strand and that seems to be sort of tracking along separately then you've got mark rylance plays this civilian from weymouth who with his son and his son's friend who is george meant to be yeah yeah some kid um, some kid who helps them with the boat they've got a little like yacht that they you know sail around in the channel in and they've answered this call for civilian ships to go over to dunkirk and help with the evacuation Mm. it was meant to be that the army requisitioned the boats and staffed them with naval officers but there weren't enough naval officers in the right places and all this kind of thing so a lot of just regular people who owned boats went over my parents actually took part in the 75th anniversary reenactment of that last year oh wow my parents are crazy people with a boat (laughs) who are currently somewhere i don't know where they are they see at the moment (laughs) somewhere like Brittany I think but they took part boats from all the places where boats came from so all along the channel and all around to London and stuff all sailed over to Dunkirk on the 75th anniversary to reenact it yeah so that's Mark Rylance's storyline so that's sort of happening Mm. on his own and then the third storyline is Tom Hardy and Scottish man don't know what his actor's name is in the air they're trying to stop the bombers from blowing these boats out the sea Side note, did not realise it was Tom Hardy until the last 10 seconds of the film. Because he was wearing like a fighter pilot air mask Can you like see a poster for this movie though? No. Well, yeah, but not one with him on. So it was only when right at the very end when he's just finally managed to safely land his plane after blowing lots of bad guys out the sky. Spoiler alert. Yeah, and, and then running out of fuel, he's um, and he's like set fire to his plane so the Germans can't have it and all this kind of thing. And then he takes his mask off, and I was like, "Oh, it's Tom Hardy." Yeah, it is quite a troll move to have like known handsome face Tom Hardy just like hidden behind a massive. He gets a great mask all film. He gets a great close up against the sunset though at the end, yeah, so he lovely. should not be complaining. Yeah, so I do think that it works that three part structure, and I like the way that you get no sense of any sort of satisfying narrative mm-hmm. arc. It's just literally like every scene is like tick, 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 tick. Like I found it a bit much sometimes the Hans Zimmer score, which is very like suspense, suspense, suspense. But every scene mm. is like, will they survive this scene? Will they survive this scene? Will they survive the next scene? And then the pressure never lets up, but you also never get a sense of like, oh, this is the real peril moment. Like it's always the real peril moment. And I think that's probably something that they just really wanted to get across from the evacuation. It was just like, try your best to stay mm. alive at any second. Yes, exactly. So a lot of people have compared this film to the 
five minute tracking scene in Atonement. Mm. Um, Joe writes Atonement from 2007, where James McAvoy's character is a private in the army who ends up on the beach at Dunkirk. And then there's this cinematically very impressive shot where single camera like follows him and his mates around the beach and you see all these incredible things. And that scene is tracked with a very customary military patriotic mm. score with like swelling strings and it melds into there's a group of soldiers singing a hymn and that like weaves into the soundscape and so on that is not what Hansimmer did for mm. this portrayal of Dunkirk he takes a lot from the sound of the airplanes that like screaming sound mm-hmm. and like beds it into the background so you'll you'll be watching a dogfight in the air and you can hear the plane noises and then you move into a different scene but you can still hear but it's the strings doing it instead yeah, of the planes definitely so just there's always like tension and horror in the music maybe my brain was filling a lot of this in but i feel like there's constant ticking yeah. throughout the whole thing just it feels tick, like tick, yeah. tick, 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 which was it's in the trailers but i didn't realize would also like just be always there in the movie there's so, also a really slowed down section of Elgar's Nimrod variations yeah someone else said that I'm just not musical enough to catch these things but it's the bit where the all you see all the little boats where Kenneth Branagh spots all the little boats and you get that like big swell of big swell of the only time you get the big swell of patriotic Mm -hmm. music it's actually a like half speed version of this very famous piece of Elgar music Mm. oh there you go yeah so we should talk about Harry Styles yeah so I thought he was really good in this. So did I. I thought I was like, had middlingly good expectations because I just thought he's got such a team around him. Surely they wouldn't let him do this if Mm. he was bad. And also, why would Christopher Nolan want to cast someone who was really bad? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me for it to be terrible. Nolan's smart enough to know that by casting a former member of One Direction, you are inviting a lot of scrutiny and publicity for that. Yeah. So you're not going to do it if you think it's going to be rubbish. But I mean... (laughs) He is really good in this, but he doesn't have a huge amount to do in the sense of dialogue. There's almost no dialogue in this film. True, but I think of the people who have dialogue, Harry Styles has a lot. He does have most of it, but it's often like brief. Apart from that one scene in the... In the boat. In the boat where, you know, they're being shot at and they're trying to decide who should have to get off the boat and stuff. He has two big scenes. He has one where he's like basically in a very aggressive way trying to like get this guy off the boat so because he, they think if there's less weight in the boat then they have a better chance of floating and you know he turns on this guy says that he's a german spy and is just desperately trying to get him off the boat but he does it in a way that i think is really good where you're just like oh this kid is really scared he's mm-hmm. like a kid who's like desperately doesn't want to die and he's getting angry with all these people as a result and i really like those lines shout out to my favorite line in the movie which is when harry styles says like have you noticed he hasn't said a word? Because I have. It's because he can't speak English, or if he does, he'll have an accent thicker than sauerkraut sauce. And you're like, <laughs> what the f- is that line? I have written a piece that is a line-by-line appreciation <laughs> of Harry Styles' role in this. So if you do want further commentary on every single piece of dialogue Harry has in this film, newstatesman.com, <laughs> you'll find it there. I'm sure we'll put it in the show notes. Although I think he does have very intense scenes, and he does have scenes that do involve like actual acting, mm. It feels like there's not loads for him to fuck up in this movie. Yeah, and I feel that's true of all the performances, actually. The the only one who I felt had difficult acting to do was Killian Murphy, mm. because he plays this... Well, he we're not quite sure what he is. We think he's some kind of sailor, and Mark Rylance and his lads, as they go across the channel, they find him sat on the upturned hull of the remains of his boat, and they rescue him. And he's obviously in shock and has PTSD, and he does this terrible thing where he pushes... George, one of the boys, and he, he ends up dying from a head injury as a result. So he actually has 
acting acting to do i feel like because yeah. he, he has to get across that conflict between obviously we feel incredibly like sorry for you because we've just had to save you from drowning mm. but on the other hand you did just kill an innocent person yeah you know sure but then again he gets to spend a lot of time like with his head in his hands and yeah. just like stressing out it's a lot of like stress acting and i sometimes mm. think the harder i mean what would i know i'm not an actress but sometimes i think the harder bits of acting are when you're just like trying to do normal dialogue and have nuanced emotions come through in that normal dialogue whereas people have a lot of room to like scream and shout and sweat and yeah. like share dark looks across the room like that's the sort of level of acting that we're talking about my favorite bit of sort of non-acting acting that harry styles does is at the end where they're on the train and he's oh, like, yeah. I like it when he goes like, where are we? Get me one of them papers. <laughs> what station? And you're like, you just sound like normal Harry Styles. That's just like how you normally talk. Yeah, I like <laughs> that they left his accent. <laughs> yeah, like when he says, what station? And you're like, oh, this is just like full on Harry. And I love it. <laughs> I think all round the performances are pretty consistent though. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Is his name Aniram Barnard, who plays the soldier that Harry's trying to chuck off the boat? Oh, yeah. With the beautiful cheekbones yeah he was very handsome um, i also thought fion who plays the kind of lead mm. soldier in that group who doesn't have loads of dialogue but is the, very much the central character is great again he doesn't have anything like huge to do and fuck up but i imagine it is quite hard to just sustain a, a character throughout all that intensity so mm. it's good yeah and i don't know i mean i cried when all the little boats appeared yeah it's very affecting i didn't cry and Did i cry not? at everything I, like, and everyone sobbed. has been moved by this movie and i just wasn't moved and i don't know sometimes i wonder if it's like a lazy critical instinct to be like but i wasn't moved so is it good because i can appreciate all the different ways in which it's technically good and the ways in which i like the script but some of it is a little bit jingoistic for me some of it's a bit like o ott patriotic like that boat scene was too much for me. I was mm. like, okay, we get it. So and I, I like it. Obviously, it's nice to be like normal people trying to help other people. That's good. But there's something about it that put me off. And also, I thought the decision to do the Churchill speech towards the end. Yeah, that was... A, I was like... A bit much. I mean, I did think it was interesting that they chose to have the Churchill speech spoken by just a normal, normal lad yeah. reading it in the paper rather than having like a voiceover. Yeah. But yes, they still had it in there. I mean, I'm sure they did print that Churchill speech in the papers on that day. But I would have been interested to read just like what the papers were saying at mm. that time and hear a kid read that and deal with that whether it's like this was a failure or whether it's the full propaganda like no Dunkirk whatever it was I don't know what yeah. it was the day after and that would have been a really cool decision for me but I think the I reason I got really choked up when I saw all the tiny boats because I was like if something like this happened now my parents would absolutely be, be in there. one of those boats yeah that's, like, that's why nice. I got really yeah definitely and I do think that I get why that that, does, that particular scene has moved so many people because I do think it's one that people have pulled out as being like, oh, it's just amazing to think of ordinary people just coming out and showing, willing mm. to try and help people live. It's, it is an amazing thing. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't cry. I, the bits I wanted to cry at most were just looking at Harry Styles' beautiful face, but that says more about me than <laughs> this movie. There was something else I wanted to talk about, actually, which was the look of the thing. Mm. And so we should just say that it is absolutely epic. Like yeah. looking at everything about it, you're like, this is so expensive. Mm. There are so many huge set pieces where like giant destroyers capsize mm. and planes crash and burn and, you know, just 
the kind of thing that most people avoid putting in their scripts because it costs too much yeah and it's all filmed quite cleverly as well it's mm. not just like oh let's show this off to the maximum effect there'll be like sideways camera angles and like water coming in from upside down and like yeah. it, do- it does a really good job of trying to give you the perspective of you being that normal person in the fight and trying to film it around your eyes basically yeah he wasn't afraid of letting the camera get blocked from view mm. by like rubble or something like that to give you that sense but also the thing that kenneth branner's character and a couple of the officers say a few times which is like what's so almost so maddening about their jobs in this situation is that you can see england mm. basically it's so close you're not quite at Calais, so it's a bit more than 20 miles but it's you know less than 30 kind of thing mm. it's so close and yet they can't do what they want to do which is get people away and there was a really good line in peter bradshaw's review for the guardian where he was talking about the makeshift pier that they build out of trucks and also that shot that's in the trailer as well of all of the men crammed onto the long pier you Mm. know when they all duck and he says that those lines are like an architectural expression of doomed homeward yearning Mm. that was so interesting yeah, that's that, like, so true. and you see these lines of men like queuing into the sea yeah and the aerial shots and stuff yeah even there's a terrible moment where you see someone just walking into the sea yeah just ready to die but just walking in that direction so yeah that's a great line mm. and i did find it really shocking right at the beginning when is it the Fionn whitehead character you know he's running away from some snipers in the town and he like climbs over this wall and suddenly mm. he's at the beach mm. and you just see these men like queuing into the waves yeah and that just is so emblematic of what Dunkirk was yeah, like I yeah. think conceptually it was like we're just gonna walk into the sea amazing we've got nowhere else to go yeah it's just impossible to fully get your head around and I wonder sometimes if that's maybe why I wasn't properly moved mm. because it's just so far removed from my experience of life that I can't actually wrap my head around what it would be like to be there but definitely worth going to see so yeah Seriously, listeners, get out there. Do respond with your thoughts on Harry Styles' performance. I can't wait for my mum's boyfriend to see it, who I managed to persuade to get into the Harry Styles album, as, of course, any dad rocker would. Yeah. (laughs) And I think he loves, like, Tom Hardy and, and, you know, Peaky Blinders and Christopher Note. Like, this is just his sort of masculine fantasy film. So I think he'll love Harry in this. I had a great moment, incidentally, at the cinema after... I had come out and needed to go to the loo in order to fix my face from the crying. Um, <laughs> and Sign of the Times came on oh, on the music. They know what they're doing. Yeah, that was amazing. Oh, well, enjoy, listeners. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now we're going to talk about Nadia's British Food Adventure, which is the new TV show from British Bake Off winner Nadia Hussain. It's the follow-up to her first solo TV series, The Chronicles of Nadia, which saw her travel abroad. <laughs> Great name. This year, she's just staying at home, touring around Britain and trying lots of traditional food. From the heights of the Scottish Highlands to the shores of East Anglia, I've travelled across Britain. You've got a fish! To learn about the food I cook for my family. Tell me, what is so good about these potatoes? And to show you the most simple and exciting everyday recipes. Oh, what's better than cheese? Cooked cheese. To share with yours. It is going to be delicious. Join me on Nadia's British food adventure. The episode that I watched is sort of eaten mess cheesecake, asparagus and... Scones. scones. Cheesy scones. Which are all, I think, yeah, very sort of typical British foods. But then she has, like, spices in her cooking that sort of influence by her, like, heritage and her what her mum was cooking when she was little and stuff, which is nice. I thought that this show was just going to be, like, a straightforward cooking programme, but it does have that sort of almost, like, travel element that I feel like the BBC quite likes to put in a lot of its cooking shows, where it's like, here's the chef doing a thing. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why they like it. I guess it like creates variety and maybe it makes the person more relatable. I like it. I like it too. So maybe this is why they do it. Yeah. But yeah, so we got to see Nadia like picking some asparagus and I quite liked the, the bit where she smoked some haddock with a yeah. firefighter. Yeah. That was quite I good. I loved that. And they, I don't know where they find these people, but they're like, here's a very beautiful and charming asparagus farmer. <laughs> here's a very funny and personable smoke person who also has a backstory. He's a firefighter. You're like, these people are made for TV. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. So my highlights were the smoking of the haddock where they get this big cardboard box. They actually show you how to make the sort of smoking box. As and if they, that's something them. anyone's going to do. I know, yeah. but I believe Nadia when she's like, oh my God, this is going to be my new obsession. There's something genuine about her. Obviously, mm. that's why people liked her on the Bake Off so much, but it comes through. And then I also liked when they sat in those weird chairs that you drive to pick asparagus. Oh yeah, and you have to sit with your legs really far apart. And mm, in like a sort of stirrupy situation. Yeah, and she made some comment like, oh, this is the first since childbirth. Yeah. Which was quite funny. <laughs> this is what I mean. She's definitely got like something charming about her, hasn't she? Oh, she's so charming. And she's so good at the kind of, I don't know, having instant chemistry with people she's just met and 
being very kind of personable and very chatty on screen. Yeah. Would you make any of these dishes? I mean, I'm just not really a chef. So no, I never um, really make anything that I watch on TV. No, not really. Yeah, but my... that doesn't mean I don't like watching it. The only thing that I really cook at the moment is tomatoes on toast, <laughs> where I just roast the tomatoes and then put them on the toast. And it's just like my absolute favourite thing in the whole world. So if Nadia does that in one of her TV shows, maybe. But other than that, it's not looking likely. Well, I, I do make stir fry, for instance. And at one point... She did do a stir fry. She did fry. do a stir fry, mm-hmm. but hers looked nicer and fancier than mine. Yeah, but it looked quite easy too. I think you could do it if you yeah, wanted that's to true. do it. It's true. One criticism <sighs> I would make of this program is I feel like often I was like, hang on, I don't even know how many eggs are in this. Oh yeah, I thought that as well. Like it was not the kind of program where they're giving you like step-by-step guides i think they are very heavily assuming that you will like look the recipes up on the website or i'm sure buy the tie-in book Mm -hmm. because it was not instructional it wasn't like adelia program where she's like in her kitchen she's like now take 200 grams of flour yeah but sometimes they you were they were doing a bit of that like nadia would literally look at the camera and go like i'm just gonna add 400 grams of this sugar and you're like but i don't know how many of anything else to put in so why are you telling me that because now like just i have like one part of a recipe it's a bit like that bit on the bake-off where they like give them an incomplete list of things to do and you just have to like make it up in between maybe they're trying to like challenge us you would definitely i think have to have like a piece of paper with actually instructions on if you wanted to make any of these things yeah but i feel like the fact that they haven't put that in all the way through reflects the fact that we all know that these programs are more about pleasant viewing than Mm. they are about like taking down the recipes and then going and doing them Mm -hmm. and it always makes me think of a bit in a dylan morin stand-up show i once saw where he talked about how these food programs the comparison between what's happening on the screen and what's happening in your own life is always so stark. Yeah. He said that, you know, you say things like, tonight we shall eat food that has at least two colours in it. <laughs> or let's put on a, t- a cooking show and then eat bread and dip it in anything runnier than bread. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's very true. And as much as I do love Nadia, and I'm very pleased that she seems to have immediately like become the nation's favourite new cooking person, mm. I can't kid myself that many people are actually doing what she's doing. But it's a bit like a lifestyle show, Mm. isn't it? Like, not just hers, but, like, when you watch Nigella or Nigel Slater or whoever it is. Because it does make me think of, like... You know how they have that camera work where they're like, ooh, the, the depth of field, like, will go fuzzy on this bowl and then the bowl will come into focus yes. just as she's pouring the, like, nice granules of rock salt into it. Like, that is something that I also see on, like, Zoella videos. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, look, I'm just going to, like, sexily zoom in on this, like, nice, I don't know, mug I have on my desk in my bedroom, which is all pastel and white in the same way that, like, Nadia or Nigella's kitchens are all that those kinds of shades of colour and stuff. So I guess it is that kind of, like, bland, slightly capitalist, soothing thing mm. that you just, like, want to put your eyes on as well. Hey, what can I say? I quite enjoy that. Yeah, you love those. <laughs> yeah, I really do. <laughs> yeah, so if you're into cooking shows... This is a very good example of that. If you're not that into cooking shows, which I feel like maybe me and you, I I don't know, I don't think I'm as into cooking shows, then it's just like a thing that you would maybe have on in the background while you're doing something else. That's definitely what it is. It's like a weeknight eat your dinner TV show. Mm -hmm. Say hey, good looking. What you got cooking? about cooking something up with me hey sweet 
don't you think maybe we could find us a brand new recipe? So last week, Caroline and I decided to give Brooklyn Nine-Nine a go, and the episode we were specifically recommended was called Nine Days, which features Detective Jake Peralta and Captain Holt contracting the mumps after they basically get suspicious of this guy who says there's an emergency at his gym and follow him to his gym and the emergency was an outbreak of mumps and then they get the mumps and it's all about how jake has been trying to stop him from feeling so alone because a character who i don't understand anything about is not there and he does that by making up a fake case and so while they're in quarantine with mumps for nine days they are together working on a fake case morning captain broader i'd like to introduce you to someone his name is simon and i hate him hello simon this is balthazar he's an evil demon who spits fire in my throat goiters huh anyway i've been looking over these photographs of the restaurant and i've identified several other known mob types <sighs> what is it did you see something no i just got very cold very fast and now my entire body is somehow on fire oh these mumps are jerks yeah so I actually went and watched the first two episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine as well. Oh, because this you're so dedicated to this podcast. Hey, I'm freelance now. Um, <laughs> so I have all the time. So uh, yeah, so this month's episode comes like halfway through series three. Yeah. So as you say, there's obviously a lot of backstory we've missed out on. We don't know who... I. I still I think don't. It was his husband. I think it must be Captain Holt's husband who is like away at the moment, so he's really lonely. Yeah. And so Jake, his subordinate, is trying to cheer him up with a tricky case at work. <laughs> Look, his subordinate. Are you like Dwight from The Office? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jake, his subordinate, enters. <laughs> I assume that is their only relationship. Yeah. Um, well, I have no idea because in the first two episodes. They fight all the time and they are not buddies. Oh, okay. Oh, character development. Yeah, because the setup of the beginning of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is that Captain Holt is like the new captain of the precinct. Oh. And he's replaced and you and see... Much well-loved. No, no. I'll let you carry on instead of just guessing and interrupting. I think he was well-loved, but for the reason that he was really shit and let them do whatever they wanted. Okay, cool. Captain, you keep seeing in flashbacks Peralta like thinking back on it and being like, oh, it was great when Captain What's-His-Face was here. <laughs> cut to them having like a fire extinguisher chair race um or... that sounds very like scrubsian exactly i was gonna say that's what this show reminds me of really like yeah. scrubsian japes yes yeah i definitely get that vibe from it one thing that i find funny about this show is for me it combines the kind of like mockumentary mm. it's weird because i whenever we talk about an american comedy i feel like we come back to like the office parks and rec and maybe 30 rock and we like discuss those as being influential but i do think there's something in this whole thing where the office was obviously trying to do the british mockumentary thing but then had so much success being like super brash and silly that and those created its things, own thing yeah, yeah those two things don't really go that well together instinctively but that is exactly what brooklyn 99 is to me it's like got the camera work of like a mockumentary and that's Definitely. about it everything else is just like super super high key brash american silliness and yeah it kind of works for me like i, I think on a first watch, it's a little bit like, whoa, what is this? It's maybe a little bit jarring. So I might have to watch more to kind of become acclimatised to that tone. But I say, yeah, having watched three, I quite like it. Mm. I don't like it in a way that I can see myself getting like super invested in its fandom or like mm -hmm. shipping any of its characters. But I like it as a kind of easy laugh with some really witty lines in it. Yeah. 
yeah definitely and the episodes are like 22 minutes or something because it's made for it's a you know network sitcom for fox mm-hmm. so it's you know written for a very tight time slot so yeah you can just watch like three in an hour without realizing that yeah, you've done that exactly exactly and i agree with you that there's sometimes just a line that like suddenly you're like wait lol that was really funny mm. <laughs> like in the mumps episode that we watched i found really funny the sort of recurring joke about how they named their mumps yeah (laughs) why is that funny i don't know but it is and how they when the two characters have a big falling out they have this really pathetic fight where they poke each other's Mm. mumps and i found that really funny as well yeah i my favorite bit in this show was when they just suddenly brought out a really adorable dog (laughs) yeah that was (laughs) which i was just in love with and then they like get i sorry i don't know the character name this is really bad but like this a character has lost his dog recently and it's sad and he's trying to get over the dog and then he becomes presented with this really cute dog who like leans forward to take his one of his old dog's toys and this is like a labrador puppy that looks like the andrex puppy and he's like you get away from that toy like gets right (laughs) up in his face and obviously the dog who may or may not be very good at acting i don't know is it a professional acting dog i assume the dog just responds like a dog would and it's like (laughs) this man's getting his face right into me and i'm like oh how many times must they have done that shot that must have been really funny to film just so cute yes i loved the dog (laughs) i loved the dog cameo (laughs) yeah but no i think overall this is a show that i will enjoy uh like dipping into whenever i just you know need something easy and funny yeah and it's good that it's like like a lot of these sort of 20 minute shows it's it's got a really nice structured isolated script so you can just kind of watch one and it doesn't really Mm. matter what the like overwhelming plot lines are i'm sure as you say there is a lot of character development whatever if you're watching them back to back but it's still very possible to just like find it accessible for a one-off yeah so great recommendation listeners thank you very much so we are taking a week off from recommends next week because we're bringing you a special special but for the week after we will be back and we're gonna do a book Yes, we love to do books when we have the time to read them. Yes, so this is a recommendation from Isabel Greenberg, and she writes in to recommend us a memoir by an illustrator and writer called Leanne Shapton. It's called Swimming Studies, and Isabel writes, it's about her childhood when she was nearly an Olympic swimmer. It's excellent and includes some of her beautiful paintings of swimming pools. I can't wait to read this. I've definitely heard about this before, and I really, yeah, want to... dive in (laughs) get out get out (laughs) i'm gonna leave now i'll get my coat Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? We're available in all the usual places you get podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, where you could also leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. We've got lots of events coming up this summer, including festivals, live episodes, and of course, quizzes. Find out more and buy tickets at seriouslypod.com events. We're available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. We're Seriously pod on all of them we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've already discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 